Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. He's up here with me. All right, and so would you guys stand with us this morning as Britt's going to lead us through the scripture reading? It's Luke chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read verses 46 down to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has, sacri- he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning again, just thankful for this gathering all the people in the room, all the moms in the room. God, we give you thanks for every mom, whether present or absent here today, and and really the gift of motherhood. And we pray today, God, that as we have your word open, that we'd have our hearts opened as well, that our lives would be open to you. That's, That's why we're here, God. We tend to close ourselves off to you. Almost a default mode is to be closed. So Holy Spirit, would you come and break up that fallow ground in our hearts this morning? Open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us open our lives to the work of your Spirit. So God, we we, want to come to you as best as we can with open hearts and open ears. Would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, come and communicate your heart to us and your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, babe. All right, you may be seated. All righty. Well, I've got a Bible study for you this morning that um, I have entitled, and if you'd like to take notes, you can jot this down. I've entitled this message, The Ministry of Motherhood. The Ministry. The Ministry of Motherhood. Certainly the gift of motherhood, the blessing of motherhood. Those of, us, those of us in this room who, have, who are close to mom, those of us who are moms, we recognize at the end of the day, motherhood, it's a ministry. It's something that has God's very hand upon it. And we want to recognize that. Look at that today. You know, there are so many examples in Scripture, certainly in our lives, but also in Scripture, there are these examples of how significantly God uses the ministry of mom the ministry of motherhood. Whether it's, I think of the Old Testament, uh, I, I love the, the story of Moses' mom, Jochebed. That's her name, Jochebed. Hebrews 11 tells us that it was by faith that Moses' mom feared God over man and preserved her own son's life. I think of Hannah. Hannah, who after years of walking through the the trial and the journey of, of, of barrenness, having to, to seek the Lord and trust him 
when there wasn't a result. And when the Lord provided a breakthrough and when God opened Hannah's womb, Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord and surrendered him to the ministry. I think in the New Testament of two women, I'm not sure if you know these ladies, but Lois and Eunice. That's a mother and a grandmother. And these individuals were the motherly figures and real, the, really the, the biological mothers of Timothy. Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother and grandmother. Timothy pastored the church at Ephesus. We've been studying uh, the, the book of Ephesians. He was one of Paul's young protégés and disciples. And, and Timothy's faith was shaped by the guidance of his mom. It was, Paul says in 1 Timothy, that he sees in Timothy the same sincere faith that once dwelled in his mother and his grandmother. All throughout the Bible, we have this incredible picture and vision of how God uses motherhood, how God uses moms in a unique and special way, in a way that's like only unique to mom. And let me say this too, there's so many different forms of motherhood. Motherhood doesn't always come in a biological form. If, if that were true, that would make an adoptive mother less than a biological mom. And if you know a mother that has brought a child into their life through adoption, you know that that woman is no less a mother than the biological mom. Amen? Motherhood is a state of heart. It's not just a physical, biological thing, though that is a, a central part of it. We know that. And there's, a lot of, there's a big cultural conversation around that as well. That's certainly a major part of it. But motherhood is what God does when a woman functions in a unique ministry to the children that God has brought under her. Um, the, the Bible even says that there's such a thing as spiritual mothers. Did you know that? Spiritual mothers, this is not just some like trivial way to be like, oh, okay, what, okay, spiritual mother. No, no, there's a real thing. When the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, actually to consider the women in the church, the older women, as mothers. Like there's this picture in scripture of the church being this family of brothers and sisters. And within the household, uh, the younger brothers and sisters treat each other as bros and sisters. And then the older folks are to be considered as fathers and the women as mothers. And I love that in our church, man, we got, a, we got a lot of brothers and sisters, but we have some incredible mothers in our church. Amen. I'm just so thankful for the spiritual moms in our church that keep us grounded, <laughs> that keep us following Jesus. I'll just tell you what, there's nothing like the spiritual legacy of a spiritual mom. It's amazing how God will use that. You guys with me today? I'm getting some nods. Okay. So many examples in the Bible of how God uses the ministry of motherhood. But let's say this this morning. With all those examples, there's really none that can compare to Mother Mary. The ministry of Mary's motherhood. I mean, you think about what we just read there. Brittany read to us Mary's Magnificent, where she is declaring to the Lord her gratitude and thanks for what he's done as he's visited her and told her through this angel Gabriel that you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. I mean, talk about God using motherhood, right? Holy cow. Uh, in Mary's motherhood, God is using her womb and her life and her ministry. Check this out. God is using motherhood to bring about his plan of salvation in the world. 
if you had any question today, whether or not moms matter, okay? How much do moms matter? God's like, we're gonna use that. And isn't this cool too, just the thought, this is God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus is not just gonna show up as a 30-year-old dude. Jimmy sent me this great quote the other day, right? Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't posture yourself as profound because God became a baby. (laughs) Chill out. God became a baby, right? This picture of his great humility displayed in his plan for salvation. It was necessary for the Messiah to fulfill all righteousness. God becoming a man. God becoming a son to a mother. God opening Mary's womb. God using Mary's womb. God using her motherhood to bring Jesus into the world and to bring salvation to our lives. Aren't we thankful for Mary? Aren't we thankful for her motherhood that God used? We're not saved. Let me make this clear this morning. We are not saved by Mary. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. The Latin phrase is great. It's solus Christus, Jesus only. But God certainly used Mary. He involved motherhood. He valued motherhood that much to make it a part of the plan. And this was God's plan from the beginning. And I mean the very beginning. Like you'll find this in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter three, you have an interesting event right after the fall of humanity. God creates mankind in his image to be his co-laborers for carrying forth the beauty of the earth through, through cultivating the raw materials that God's created for a greater purpose of blessing the world and carrying God's blessing with them into the world. And of course, as we know, our representatives in the garden, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. There are representatives and we reflect them still today as humanity, those that are naturally in Adam, we still do the same thing, don't we? We want our elbow room from God. We want God in our own terms. We want, in a lot of ways, to be our own source of what's good and evil. We want to say what we, what we can do and what we can't do, and we want to do it on our own. It's, it's seizing autonomy from God. It's disobedience. That's what happened. These creations that he's made for his glory out of his grace and kindness and his love have turned away from God. And isn't it amazing, though, that what God does in that moment is he doesn't destroy man. This is the story of our lives. This is the story of history that we're, where we would expect God to be done. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever had your point where you're like, hey, I'm done. I'm there. You got, I was here, but now I'm here. And this is the point of no return. I am done. There's so many times in our lives where we're like, God must be done with me now. Amen, right? And we're like, God, is this it? And he's like, nope. Right when you think I'm ready to destroy you, I'm more patient than you could ever hope for. And I'm more loving and gracious towards you than than you could ever, ever desire. And we see this in the very beginning. Instead of destroying man, here's what God does, and here's what he does for us. He makes a promise. I'm not gonna destroy you. I'm gonna promise something to you. And that's a promise, notice this, of salvation. You guys messed it up, but here's my promise. I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna bring salvation. And here's the promise. Now, I want you to notice, here's the promise God gives from the very beginning. And here's what's really cool about this. This is a promise that God makes for us, but I was studying this and I just was reminded of how cool this is. God makes this promise for us to the serpent. Isn't that awesome? He speaks the promise for us to the wicked one, to the serpent who has deceived, deceived Eve and is, is positioned against God. 
And God tells the serpent that I will put hostility, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. There's going to be this generational war that's going to occur. And there's even going to be dueling offspring. And there's incredible symbolism of this all throughout the Bible where these serpent-like people, uh, Jesus at one point calls a group of people sons of the devil, like that there's going to be offspring, but ultimately it's gonna be connected to an evil one who's at war with humanity and at war with God at the end of the day. Jesus said that. He's like, if they're at war with you, just remember they're actually at war with me. And this is the story of history, that, that there's a conflict ultimately between Satan and God. But there's a promise that involves a mother. God says there's a time coming where through her offspring, I love this, God says that there's a man coming and he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. I want you to imagine the idea of like a snake going to bite someone on the heel. And as that, that bite is made, there's a wound. But the, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's very interesting. It's a wound, but it's not a mortal wound. The other word that's used for him crushing your head is a mortal wound. He's gonna fade, you're gonna wound him, but it's gonna be by his stripes that we're healed, amen? That he's gonna be wounded for our transgressions. You're gonna strike him on the cross, but ultimately Jesus is gonna be the serpent crusher. And through the cross, he's going to destroy the enemy. It's gonna come, notice this again, God makes this promise, Eve overhears it, that it's gonna come through a woman. It's gonna come through the, the, the generational offspring of this woman. And if you track the genealogy, that's you know, most of the Bible. You ever got to that, that point in the reading plan where you're reading like they begot them and they begot them and they begot that guy and that guy begot that guy. And it just kind of like goes on and on and on and on. These gen now, it, there's intention to that, especially when you read the gospel of Matthew and you see that there's a generational line from this point all the way up to Jesus or through Mary through this mother, the serpent crusher arrives. Jesus shows up. This is one of my favorite pictures depicting um, artistically, this is not an actual event uh, in history, but on the left there, uh, Scott the painter did a rendition of this. I think originally it was by Sister Grace is her name. But if you can just use your imagination, and um, I, I understand that this is not again an event in scripture, but you have Eve, with the serpent there around her neck, or sorry, rather around her ankle. You see the forbidden fruit that represents the fall of man. And Eve's there representing the shame and the brokenness of humanity. And there she has her hand on Mary's womb. And I want you to notice Mary's right foot. Okay, it's, now Mary doesn't crush the serpent, Jesus does, but it's symbolic of what's to come. Just an incredible visual of what God promised all along, that there would be, a seed from the woman, that God would use motherhood to reverse the curse of sin, to bring salvation to the world. And again, there it is depicted on the right-hand side, and as we read it, uh, through Mary. Now, Mary's an interesting character in the Bible, but I want us to, in a lot of ways, because there's so, much, so many polarizing opinions about her throughout church history, even in modern day, and so I, I wanna look at this. For our short time that we have left, I want us to look at a couple things here. I want us to look at the different ways and the different aspects of Mary's motherhood that God used. 
that God used. God used Mary's motherhood to bring salvation to the world. And he used a couple key things. Write these things down. These are important. The first thing that we see God using in the life of Mary as a mother is we see that God involved Mary's motherhood and we see her servant heart. This is so important. God used her servant heart as a mom. God uses moms. And God used this mom, Mary, and specifically her servant heart. Here's what we, what we see when this announcement comes to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This is Luke 1.26. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. God has used a lot of great moms, Mary, but blessed are you. God is going to use your motherhood. It says that when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Mary's likely anywhere from 14 to 16 years old. She, she, she is processing what's happening to her. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're like, your processing system wasn't as quick as the events that were happening to you? And then after the fact that like, you know, the buffering happened and you're like, whoa, okay? This is Mary in this moment. She, she's troubled and she's trying to consider what's going on. She's internalizing this, thinking on this. This is mind-blowing what's happening to her as she is being greeted this way as a blessed and highly favored woman. Then the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. Here's the promise, Mary. You're gonna conceive in your womb and you're gonna bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew's version, as it says to Joseph, it says, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this is what Mary is told about her motherhood. By the way, up until this point, Mary has had her own plans. Let's, let's say this. Mary has had her own plans for motherhood. And um, there's many versions of this, but, but most moms will tell you that their motherhood experience doesn't perfectly line up with what their plans for motherhood were. There's our plans, and then there's what God has. And that, that's, a, that's a journey of faith. That's a journey of walking with God and trusting him through some difficult times. Mary had her own plans for motherhood, but God had different plans that she's processing. And this is a, this is a lot. Notice Mary's response. And this is the first thing that God uses. Then Mary said to the angel, she's processing this. You know, she's thinking on this. Like, this is crazy. How can this be since, you know, I, I don't know a man. Like, there's Joe, but he ain't my guy yet. So how, he's a good guy. He's a good guy, but we're not there yet. So how, how can this be? And the angel answered, and now is going to speak some mysterious, miraculous thing over here. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you, this essential miracle. Jesus in his divinity was going to be of God the Father. Jesus in his humanity was going to be born of a human woman. It's an incredible mystery. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. I love this. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Amen? Amen. Notice Mary's response. 
Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We see a beautiful display here of Mary's servant heart. Let it be to me according to your word. What an incredible posture to have to God when he speaks something over your life. You with me? A a posture that says, God, there was my plans, there was my ideas, there was my will and my ways and what I thought would happen, but then there's your interruption here. How many of us know that having kids is a bit of a interruption, okay? Especially of sleep, but we know many other things. And God shows up into the mix here. He has a different plan. And here is Mary's heart posture to what God has for her. She says, let it be to me according to your word. This is a posture of availability. This is a posture of of surrender that says, God, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do your will. What an incredible thing. You know, can I say this? Like, this is what was so special about Mary. This is what God used. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's hard to do a, a, a Mother's Day talk on Mary because it's like, yeah, well, of course, Mary, the mother Mary's a great mom. She's Mother Mary, right? But, but listen, even in the, even in the, the prayer that, that Brittany read over us, look at what Mary says about herself. She's like, I, there's nothing particularly special about Mary. She, she's a normal first century woman. A young teenager destined to be a wife and mom, destined to have an impact certainly in her own way. But Mary says, man, I'm worshiping God. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She doesn't say because I am this incredible person that of course, she wasn't like, you know, I'm Mary. I'm, I'm her, okay? Like, no, she's, she's like, I'm, I am, I'm a lowly maidservant. He's regarded me. What? See her, she's like, Me? She sees herself before God is in this humble way. The story of Mary and her motherhood is a theme that you see all throughout the Bible. Can I tell you the theme? That God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses, it's amazing who man projects and picks and assumes God will use, right? That's the one, right? I think of Samuel going to anoint the next king of Israel, and there's Jesse's sons lined up. And he... It's always the unordinary. It's all... God loves to do extraordinary things in the most surprising ways. You know what I mean? He loves the unexpected people. <laughs> he loves the lowly maidservant. He, he's like, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna end up in Bethlehem. Like, we're not going to the palace to find the mother. You know, th- this is just who God is. What God is often looking for in contrast to culture and our common thinking, God is not looking for capable people. He's looking for available people. He's just looking for people to say, here I am, the servant of God, whatever you want, what's up? Here I am. I think of Isaiah. Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. Like if in your life you, you desire God to use you in a greater way, get your mind off capability, get your mind on availability. Just start your day with, God, I know who I'm not and I know who I am but I'm yours, amen? God, I'm just here. I'm here to be used by you. I'm here to serve you however you want. And listen, that is the key again. It's Mary, that you could only really say, God, here I am, let it be to me according to your word. If you can first say, you can only say that if you could only, it's only the case if you could first say, I'm your servant, Lord. 
I'm the maid servant of the Lord. It's only the servant of the Lord that's truly available to what God has. And this is a great identity to have. I love that Mary has this posture. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is Moses in the Old Testament. When Moses is sent to speak to Pharaoh and to say the famous Prince of Egypt words, let my people go. Oh, baby, baby, or however it goes. Oh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, sorry. (laughs) Moses did not walk up to Pharaoh and say, oh, baby, baby, let my people go. I think that was Aretha Franklin, not Moses. I get them confused sometimes. <laughs> oh, classic confusion there. Moses goes up to Pharaoh and he says, and God says, Moses, here's what I want you to say. I want you to call Pharaoh to release my people. Let my people go. Why? So that they may serve me. Serve me. Now, this is important. A lot of us, we think of serving, a servant, that can sound restrictive to us, right? It's like, oh, that's, that doesn't sound like freedom at all. But when you know what it's like to be enslaved in Egypt, you know that serving the Lord is freedom, amen? When you know what it's like to serve anything and anyone other than God, when you know that experience and the Lord says, come on, you're gonna serve me, you run to that opportunity. Because you know that, listen, true freedom is found not in whether or not you serve, because Bob Dylan said, we're all going to serve somebody. You're going to serve. You're either, whether, whether it be the, the cultural expectations and pressures of others, you know what that's like? Whether it's your own demands of yourself, whether you're serving the pace of culture, you're going to serve something or someone. Maybe today you're someone and you are mastered by even your own desires. That's your master. I mean, pick the tyrant. Do you know what I'm saying? We, we're having to fight against them each day. The question isn't if you're going to serve, it's who. And here's what God says. You were created to serve me. And true freedom is found in service to me. Truth is what you're created for, to be a servant of the Lord. This is, it goes on to be Moses' mindset, his own identity, and we see it here for Mary as well. I'm telling you, God will use a mom that just says, Lord, I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to serve just my kids. I'm not here to serve my kids. Amen, right? Some, some mom said amen, okay. Serve my husband. Serve. God, I'm here to serve you. I do this as unto you. If, if we're serving for applause, like that, this train was done a long time ago, you know? But we serve unto you. And this is applicable to all of us, isn't it? His betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Christmas Day, check it out, verse seven. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary gives birth to the Messiah. What a significant moment. Now, um, Mary's whole journey of motherhood could be marked by sacrifice. I mean, this is what she had to go through. Every step of the way involved her having to trust the Lord with her sacrifices. I mean, if you're Mary in that time, Mary was called to sacrifice her plans, her timeline. And how many of us know that Mary was called to sacrifice her reputation as a betrothed woman and what people would perceive about her and think about her? I mean, and if not for any of those things in the context of Mary, okay, um, Mary's a mom. 
and she's given birth. And as magical as that event is, I've thankfully, uh, I've been there, I'm going to say, three times. I almost said I was a part of it, which is like, what do you, no, I wasn't. I was there, though, in the room three times. But a little bit of part, no, not a part of it at all. I was just, she'll tell you the story of how I, I was sleeping at the third time, and I got woken up. Oh, the baby's coming. Okay, hey, I'm wide awake. Anyway. As magical as a moment that is, we know that that, that event of motherhood, that, e- that event of, of delivery and labor, it's a sacrifice, being a mom. It's a sacrifice. More than that, it's a sacrifice of your, not just your comfort, as, but as you guys know, as a mom, it's a sacrifice of your body. What is, like, you're like, this is your, te- your home now, human. <laughs> we have some prego mommies in the house, I know, like, and, and you're like, this is, this is now, you know what this is like. It's like, this is, this, you're, you know, temporary though, okay? It's a, the lease expires in nine months, okay? But you're sacrificing your energy, your body, your time, your sleep, your comfort. It's a sacrifice. And can I tell you this? That is actually, according to God, is a picture of the greatest kind of love. Did you know that? You're, you know, we're really no more like God than when we give sacrificially because it's who he is. I think it was Mother Teresa who said that, that we can give without loving, but we cannot truly love without giving, right? This is what 1 John 3.16 says, not John 3.16. Did you know this? 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for, for the brethren. That's why mom models the love of God so beautifully as mom gives of herself sacrificially for the sake of another. And here, I want you to notice this and think about this thought. I wrote it down this way. This is kind of cool to think about. Mary is giving of herself sacrificially for the life of Jesus. Mary gave of herself to give life to the one who would give of himself to give life to all. Mary's giving of herself to give life to the one who would give of herself to give life to all. This is what true love looks like. And this is what, listen, This is where we need to be reminded that when we do this, when we sacrifice and God uses it for life, what we're doing is we're trusting him with our sacrifices. Uh, This is Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in sacrifice while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. It's so easy to lose heart in that time of the farming season where the rain has come, but the crops haven't yielded any fruit yet. And we're just laboring, we're exhausting, we're sacrificing, we're tired, we're tired, we're tired, we're tired. And and nobody, nobody really knows. Nobody sees it. That's one of the hardest things about being exhausted and sacrificed is the loneliness that can accompany it. Because it's hard. And and maybe God puts some friends in your life that can surround you and and have an understanding. But most of the time, there can be this sense in which, which God, it's just so easy to grow weary. And so scripture's like, don't do that. Don't quit during the in-between. God is using your sacrifices. He's gonna use them. And, and listen, in due season, you will reap if you don't lose heart. Keep sowing into that relationship. Keep sowing into that child that's not listening. You with me? Keep loving and giving of yourself for that person that seems like they have no interest in what you're, you're saying and they have no appreciation for the love you're giving. Don't lose heart. 
in due time. Now I love it because this is conditional upon like the events where you actually get to see the fruit, by the way, too. That's always a blessing. It's rare though, isn't it? You know, um, like if I went into the ministry, if, I, if we planted a church um, in order to see, see the fruit and all the fruit and nothing but the fruit, you know, then we would have quit a while ago if it's based on our own perception of whether or not the ministry is effective and is it working and is it fruitful. It's really about committing it to the Lord. This is the key to sacrifice in ministry, not being worried about what you see, but trusting that God sees. This is the key to sacrifice in ministry, not worrying about what you see, but trusting that God sees your sacrifice. And if you commit it to him, he could use it in a way that no manipulation could ever, you know what I'm saying, can do. He, he can, if you give it to him, it's amazing what he'll do with that. And I am before you as a preacher today because of a mom. because of a mom who trusted God with her sacrifices. I went to heaven. And, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't see Sola's church on this side of heaven. But I can't wait to tell her the stories. Don't lose heart. Sorry. Oh, let's go to the next verse so I can distract myself. Hebrews 6.10 says... That God is not unjust. Forget your work and your labor of love, which you've shown in his name. That you have ministered. I'm just thinking of that day that we all get to where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That's what we're working for, amen? We're doing it unto him. And let me say this, he's worth it. He's so worth it. Maybe you're tired today. Can I just remind you, it, most of the time, it doesn't feel worth it. But he's worth it. He's worth all of it, amen? I just gotta keep saying amen so I can, you know, amen? Yeah, okay, amen. <laughs> hey, let's, let's wrap this up here. A couple more things here. Uh, I wanna just emphasize how God used Mary's shaping voice. It's like, you're, you're gonna like start crying halfway, like at least let it be at the end, you know? It's like, you still got a thing to get through. Her shaping voice. Um, I wanna talk about how God used Mary's ministry as a mom, um, and he used not just her life of sacrifice, he didn't just use her heart of service. God used, I, I'm gonna tell you this, you're gonna be like, where's the chapter and verse? I'm gonna to try to show it to you, but I'm just gonna to assert to you that God used Mary's voice in the life of Jesus. Okay, here's what it says. It says that when they had uh, performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, so after Jesus is born, they dedicate him to the Lord. And that's just their posture as parents. They're like, we're gonna give our children to God and we're gonna raise them to know Jesus, to know the Lord rather in that context. You know, that'd be weird, right? We're gonna raise Jesus to know Jesus, you know? Um, we're gonna raise him in the way of God. And they return back to their home. This is in the unseen places where most of motherhood happens, okay? So they go home and it says this, the child grew, Jesus grew. This is really interesting. He became strong in spirit. 12 year old Jesus, he becomes 12. I mean, a lot happens. I can't wait to get to heaven and be like, is there a Netflix, a heavenly Netflix series on each year of Jesus' life that I can binge watch up here? 
Um, it says Jesus grew. Notice how, how he grew. Look at this development of this child. Jesus grew, he became strong in spirit. He became filled with, the, with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now, what we're dealing with here when we talk about the person of Jesus is we're dealing with really high and difficult to comprehend ideas about his both divinity and his humanity. We know that in, in his divinity, Jesus, you know, he, he calms the storm as God, but in his humanity, he gets woken up from a nap to do it. I love that. Uh, in his, on, on, his, on his dad's side, <laughs> you have Jesus displaying all the glory of God and being transfigured before the disciples, yet on his mom's side, you with me? On his mom's side, in his full humanity, think about this, Jesus, who is omnipotent God, who is the wisdom of God, who is the God of all grace, Jesus becomes a, becomes a, God becomes a, a, a baby who be, also becomes a boy. Like we often say in the gospel that God became a man. I think we need to get back to saying God became a boy. Dude, do you remember what it was like to be a 12-year-old boy? The, the struggles of life as a 12-year-old boy? Okay, sometimes I'm like, those are simpler times. I wish I can go back there. But, but Jesus grew in his humanity. Let me say this. Jesus didn't like, um, you know, abuse his divinity. The gospel is that he put aside his divinity in becoming a man. In, in this time, let me say this. Jesus didn't develop on his own in his humanity. Jesus developed the same way any first century Jewish boy would have in that culture. How, how, did, how did a young boy develop? How did a young boy grow and become strong in, this, in spirit and filled with wisdom? Well, well, it was through the influence of their family and their community. And you gotta know that this especially involved Mary, didn't it? Have to imagine, what were those conversations like? Um, Jesus is not six years old in his humanity, knowing what's, what's ahead of him. He learns it as he studies the Torah. I mean, there's, there's a, and this can be dicey, and some of us are like, is that even, are we allowed to say that? But th this is what scripture shows us. The whole gospel of Luke is like, look at the son of man, look at this dude who, who, who moved into the neighbor. This is God as a man. And uh, he grew, he developed not on his own, but through the help of the people around him. And, and I want to assert, especially the voice of his mom. And you know, when you read the gospels, don't, have you ever noticed the special connection between Jesus and Mary? It's really special. In other words, at the wedding of Cana, I certainly, we're going to see it in the next story. It was a mother-son relationship. I mean, think about this. This is real. He's a boy and he has a mom. Mary's his mom. And she's involved in his life. And I just want to say, this is a key thing that God used in Jesus' life. God used, I want to say God used Mary's shaping voice in the life of Jesus. He became, and can I just say like, wow, look at these things. If you're, if you're trying to get some language around what God wants to use your voice to do in the lives of your children, look no further, right? God, would you use my voice to make my children strong in spirit? There's something about the voice of a mom, isn't there? To make young boys understand their strength. This is our goal. We don't just want our kids to be academic and athletic. What does it profit a child to gain the whole world and lose his soul, right? No, we want them to be strong in who they are in God, amen? We wanna speak identity over them. And it's, mom, your voice has a role to play in that that's unique to you. There's a role of the voice of dad. We all know that. That's Father's Day, okay, not today. 
the voice of mom, the voice of strength. Your voice is bringing strength to them. You might not see it, but use your voice to make them strong, strong in spirit. You know, I saw a picture the other day. It was really random. It was of, you know, because I was on the internet. <laughs> That's what happens when you're on the internet. You see random pictures. And so I was scrolling, and, and there was a picture of a bodybuilder, like oiled up kind of guy, standing up next to Bjorn Johnson. Do we know who that is? One of the world's strongest men who's like three feet taller than this guy. And I thought, what an interesting contrast. The appearance of strength and the true embodiment of strength. What we're after is not just the appearance of strong spiritual kids. There's something about your voice that can divide the difference there. We want substantially strong kids. They have to be strong to make it, especially in the times we're in. And your voice matters for that, that they would be strong, not just look strong and know all the verses, you with me, but substantially strong. They, filled with wisdom, the voice of wisdom, the voice of mother wisdom in the book of Proverbs that's crying out. The, the Bible says in Proverbs that the, the foolishness of a son is the grief of his mother. There's something about a foolish son that gets mommy going, mm-mm, Okay. And there's something about the voice of mom speaking wisdom over their son's lives. And the grace of God is upon him. Mary knew the destiny that was upon Jesus. She spoke that over him. Are you got, you got room for one more? Can I just do one more? All right, thanks. <laughs> La lastly, God used her surrendered hands. We're gonna close with this. This is huge. We're gonna make it too. God used Mary's servant heart. We're not saved through Mary, but God used Mary. It's really cool to think about this. God used Mary's motherhood. He used her sacrificial life. He used her sacrifices to give life to the one who would give life to all through his sacrifice. God used her shaping voice. We gotta believe that Mary's voice mattered in Jesus's development. That's what God, by the way, I wanna say this too. That's what God primarily uses, especially when kids are in their early years and they haven't yet developed a discernment of the voice of God. Parents, you, you are the voice of God until they do that. We see that with Samuel, don't we? What's that, Samuel? What's that noise? I'm, I'm used to God's voice through people. There's a transition that happens in our relationship with God where we're able to hear his voice on our own. But in the meantime, our voices matter because we're, we're the voice of God until they discern that. And then lastly, her surrendered hands. The rest of the gospels from here on out, I can't wait again to watch the Netflix special in heaven, but... The rest of the gospels really just detail Mary's journey, listen, of surrendering Jesus to the Father's will. If you know what it's like as a mom to have to surrender your kids to what the Lord has for them and to trust them to him, you're in good company. Mary's in your company. And, you know, for the sake of time, I, I don't wanna, you know what? I don't care, I'm gonna read it. Luke 2, 41, because it's just worth reading. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. I just love this story too. And I want you thinking about it. It says that when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Jesus says, is becoming a man in that culture at even 12 years old. It says, and when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Mm -mm. But supposing him, classic parenting mistake. I have done this. I thought you had them. 
Okay, now not like detrimentally. Okay, we didn't leave them on the side of the road or anything. But there was a, I'll tell a story. Is it okay? No. Okay. There was a t- there was a time in Fresh Market when Judah was like one years old, barely. No, he might have been like eight months old, and he was in the cart, and I walked. I I was my fault. I was like, babe, you got him right? And she maybe didn't hear me. And she's like, hey, you got him right? I'm like, yes, probably. And I still got distracted. And I remember thinking she was watching him and she thought I was watching him. And I remember being on the other side of the aisle, just looking through stuff and hearing a baby crying. Be like, oh, it's so sad. Someone's baby's crying. <laughs> that is so sad. What kind of parents would just let their baby cry like that? And I went, oh, this was the worst. This is our first kid, okay? We only did it three times with the others, all right? <laughs> But I remember going around the aisle and there were all these moms, like three of them. And they were very happy to see me. They really had nice things to say. They were like, you're a great father. So good for you to come back for your child. Anyway, so, okay. So this, listen, I don't feel so bad about myself because you know, my kid's not the Messiah. So I didn't really mess up that bad. Like, they're the ones that really blew it, okay? It's like, you lost the Messiah. All right. Okay. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, and they were looking for him on aisle three, and it says in verse 46, now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, and here's Jesus about his father's business, sitting in the midst of the, of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? And here's Jesus as he's stepping, transitioning from adolescence into adulthood. He's stepping into his father's will. He's beginning to give a foretaste of what his whole life is going to be about. Christ comes to do the father's will. At one point, he's like, I'm not even going to eat because that's my food. I mean, this is how serious this is. And he goes, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? It says, and they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to him. And this begins Mary's journey of growing in understanding of this statement, right? For the sake of time, I really won't read it. But there's other stories. I think of examples where Mary is wrestling with Jesus being more than just her son. This is the son of God. So at the wedding, the, the wedding in Cana, when the wine runs out, which means the party stops, okay, Mary turns to Jesus. He's the problem solver. Hey, the wine ran out, and he says to her, affectionately, woman, not like woman, but like woman. It's affectionate. It's a term of, a, term of endearment in that culture. He says, what does that, that worry concern me? My time has not yet come. You know what that is for Mary? You'll have this as a mom, won't you? Adjustments. I've got to give you to the Lord. I can't be God. I've got to give you to him. It gets harder. There's a, ooh, there's a story where Jesus is preaching and doing miracles at a house. Mary shows up at the house. And someone's like, Jesus, your mom's here. Jesus goes, who's my mom? Whoever does my will is my mom. Now, it was much more tender than that. And it involved his brothers as well. It involved his spiritual family. Jesus also was not disowning his mother in that moment. He was fulfilling his ministry. He was communicating to the people in front of them that you too can be in my family. 
as you surrender yourself to the Lord. But you imagine Mary hearing that and the adjustment needed to go, I've got to give you to the Lord. And then John 19 tells us that there's Mary at the foot of the cross. And there's her son. And she's got to trust him to the Lord. And she's watching him bleed and die and suffer. And she's trusting that God has a plan. That God is going to use this. And from the cross, what a beautiful moment where Jesus looks upon Mary. And says, though there's going to be separation, I love you. And I value you, mom. Behold your son. You, you, you are, I'm not going to be here, but you're still mom. And Be mom to him now. Be mom to John. John, behold your mother. You have the best mom you could ever pray for or plan for. And Christ gives up his life. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And Mary sees her son in all his glory. Now, not Jesus, the boy, but Jesus, the son of God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I, I, I don't, we don't give special deity or sacredness to Mary, but you gotta know and you gotta imagine that Mary's reunion with Jesus in heaven had to be special, right? And I can't wait to hear more of those stories. And moms, before then, we sit before Jesus and we say, Jesus, would you use my motherhood? Help me remember that it's not in vain. Thank you for the mothers you've given me in my life and help me live their legacy here in the meantime. Amen.